my friends, we, uh, we just remembered Jesus. And I think having his words fresh on our minds, I think having the, the taste of the bread and the juice fresh on our tongues is, is good for us as we step into this next sermon series, uh, this new adventure in, in God's word. What Jesus did in sacrifice for us needs to be fresh in our senses as we, as we come to this text uh, this morning as, as well as in uh, the coming mornings. Last Sunday, we finished up the series that we had been in since Resurrection Sunday, clear back to uh, April 12th. We were following Jesus and we were meeting him in his post-resurrection appearances that we find in the Gospels. And it didn't take us long to discover that the resurrection of Jesus pretty much turned the lives of the disciples mm -hmm. upside down, even though he had told them several times that he would die and rise on the third day. Well, after seeing him die, they didn't expect him to come back. They expected what we normally expect of dead people, and that is that he would stay dead, but not Jesus. No, no, he, he did not. He did exactly what he said he would do, and he pretty much rocked their lives. And quite frankly, I hope that it has rocked our lives and will continue to do so as well. So then just before Jesus returned to the Father, he told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that he would send them, and then he left. And 10 days later on the Jewish Feast of Harvest, we know the event is Pentecost, the Holy Spirit entered their lives, came to live in them with the power and the presence of God. And so, on the church calendar, that entire season, many of you know, as Eastertide, 40 day, 49 days, and then day 50 is the day of Pentecost. Now, can I just point out the obvious? Pentecost, one day. That's it. One day. And the season that follows is referred to on the historic church calendar as ordinary time. We are a week into ordinary time. Ordinary? Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the word ordinary? Oh, just kind of ho-hum. Kind of an ordinary bowl of vanilla ice cream. Maybe just an ordinary cheese pizza. Webster defines ordinary as no special or distinctive features, normal, commonplace, or standard. Does that not strike you as more than just a little bit ironic? Yes. On a couple of levels, actually. There's so much these days on our planet, in our country, that is far from what we might think of as normal, commonplace, or standard, right? And the other irony is that ordinary time begins after Pentecost. <laughs> The day when the Spirit of the living God came to indwell ordinary people, filling them with the presence and power of God so that they might be very ordinary? Man, try selling that idea to the early believers. Well, folks, now that the Spirit has come, we're living in ordinary times, so go back to your ordinary lives. Come on. Now, if you've been at Applewood for any time at all, a few seasons perhaps, you know I love the church calendar, and I do understand. That ordinary time simply refers to a block of time on the calendar of the historic church where there's no special celebration like Advent or Lent. But this season, it has really grabbed me. 
this may be ordinary time on the calendar, but don't let the description fool you. We are living in post-resurrection, post-Pentecost days. And that means the Spirit of God lives in those who have committed their lives to following Jesus. And if we've learned anything from this past series, a life of following Jesus in our daily lives. So, I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to John 15. We're going to spend about a month or so of Sundays in this chapter because I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. I believe it is the key, the key to being the people that Jesus has called us to be in these days. Whether they are ordinary days, whether they are unordinary days, whatever might be going on in our world, our nation, our cities, our neighborhoods, this chapter is about keeping the taste of the cup and the bread fresh in us. This is a post-Pentecost living text. And I promise, I promise as excited as I am about this, it's not going to be an overly long sermon this morning. Just uh, more some introductory truth of things that, that we know from this text. Many of us, it will be familiar. But it paves the way for us as we, as then we begin to, to move into the weeks ahead and, and unpack some of these things a little bit more together. So if you have found John 15, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Let's stand together virtually. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Okay. Everybody got it? All right, here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated if you were standing. Words of Jesus spoken to his disciples on their final night together before his arrest and crucifixion. We we, we know John 15, don't we? Many of us. They're, uh, they're familiar words for many years in uh, some of our lives. 
They're part of what is often referred to as Jesus' final discourse or his final teaching. It begins in John 14, but really the impact of the discourse really starts in chapter 13, where we know that, that two very important things happen. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which was, you know, by any stretch, an outrageous, unexpected event. I often imagine that the disciples were talking about that one for years to come. <clears throat> their master and their Lord, their teacher, the one whom they were exalting as, as the hope of Israel in their lives, stooped to wash their feet. And then Jesus tells them that he is leaving. He's going to the Father. They share a final meal together. He makes it very clear. He tells them he's going to prepare a place for them, that he will come back and take them with him. And then he promises another counselor who will come and be with them forever. Right after that, the next words that we read are the words of our text that we just read together. And as I said earlier, I, I really do believe this is a post-Pentecost text for everyday living. Jesus is, is speaking these words in anticipation of what he's going to do in just a matter of hours. We've seen Jesus on a mission. We have heard his invite of those original followers to come and join him on a mission of making the kingdom of God known, making the kingdom of God attractive to those whom God's grace is at work in their lives, drawing them into mission. And now he entrusts his closest followers with the secret of how they're going to accomplish the mission that he is leading with them in the power of the Holy Spirit, counselor who is coming. I, I just can't help but imagine that there were a lot of questions that they wanted to ask but let's remember that Jesus is using language of the culture, farming language that, that would have been familiar to the disciples. In the world of, of grape farming, of, of which there is a whole lot in Israel, the, uh, the analogy that Jesus uses would have been something that the disciples saw on a fairly regular basis. And so I want to offer to you uh, some truths I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them fundamental truths, if I can, um, about the three parts of, of this vineyard analogy. And uh, again, they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty standard, uh, pretty familiar, maybe even a bit like, well, duh, but I think they bear repeating as a reminder to us of the significance of what Jesus is saying here and then sets the stage for our exploration of this text more deeply in the next few Sundays together. So, first fundamental truth. Jesus is the true vine. 
Jesus is the true vine. Now, in the world of grape farming, the, the, the vine is everything. The quality of the grape, and thus the quality of the wine, which was such a huge part of that culture, all of that depended upon the quality of the vine and the health of the branches. But first and foremost is the vine. The vine determines the health of the branches and the health of the grapes and the quality of the taste, the attractiveness of the wine. Jesus is the true vine. In many ways, I think this is a, is, is a restatement, in a sense, of what he told his disciples just a few verses earlier in chapter 14. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And now he says he is the true vine. No one, says Jesus, comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying that life, life as it was intended to be lived, life for human beings for which they were created, is an intimate relationship with God. And Jesus is saying it is only possible through him. His life, his death, and resurrection is the heart of the gospel. Gospel means good news, which assumes there's bad news, which is true for all who as yet do not know Jesus. Now, Jesus did not say, I am a vine. He did not say, I am one of the good vines. Choose wisely. No. He said, I am the true vine. In other words, any other offer of life through any other so-called vine or source is false. There are other vines. There are vines in our life of economy. There are vines in our life of people and groups and gatherings. There, there are financial vines. There are political vines. There are all kinds of vines that people attach themselves to and grow into with the hope of finding life. None of them, according to Jesus, none of them leads to the life for which persons were created. So this is a, a kingdom of God message for our world. And, and we, the ones who are branches in the true vine, bear the fruit by which others may see the quality of our vine, the true vine. So, so let me ask you, do our lives communicate to others the exclusiveness of Jesus' language? And when I say exclusive, I don't necessarily mean that it's presented in an obnoxious way, that it's presented in a way that is not tempered with, with humility and wonder and awe that God would do this for anyone who puts their trust in his son. Do we display fruit that communicates to others the exclusiveness of Jesus? Do we display a passion for Jesus as the way, the truth, 
and the life when people have gotten to know us. Do they know? Even if they don't understand it, even if they don't like it, do they know that we are finding our life in Jesus? That we believe he is the only way to find soul-satisfying life, that kind of life for which we were made in God. Jesus is the way to that life. There's a second fundamental truth. Jesus' Father and our Father, according to Jesus, is the gardener who tends his vineyard. And guess what? The gardener wants fruit. This is language that's used extensively through, through the prophets. Israel was, was God's vineyard. The, the psalmist in Psalm 80 speaks to God bringing his vine out of Egypt and lovingly caring for that vine. And yet that vine worst case scenario, had grown wild. And despite God's efforts to, to prune it and to make it fruitful for himself, the vine insisted on growing its own way and doing its own thing. God, the farmer, is interested in fruit. The more of it, the better. We read the, the language of, of cutting and and pruning in this text. And, and if you're like me, I, I read this and, and, and my mind just immediately goes right to, to those words. Whoa, cutting and, and pruning. And there's this sense of, yikes, that, that, sounds, that sounds harsh. That sounds, that sounds painful. That's because it is. Yeah. That's, that's the nature of cutting and, and pruning. Much of the time, it is difficult. It can be painful. But it is necessary for the life of the branch and for the fruit that will come from that branch. Think about our vine for a moment. Jesus, the true vine. Isaiah wrote that the suffering Messiah would be crushed for our sins, like, like the crushing of the grapes, necessary to bring new wine. And so we who are branches in the, in the vine of Jesus can and should expect pruning by our Heavenly Father in order to bring an abundance of fruit that will demonstrate new life in Jesus. Now, here's the interesting thing is, you know, not all grapevines or branches, I should say, bear the same amount of fruit. Some branches bear more. Some branches bear less. The point is that a healthy branch bears fruit. And that fruit is determined not by what I say is fruit, not by what you say is fruit, not by what others might think of as fruit. That fruit is determined by what God chooses to do in and through the branches 
So let me share one more with you that, that really kind of begs a whole lot of questions for us. But we need to, we need to ask this because it's going to, to launch us uh, into further study of this text. I love this one. So, when the branch is firmly attached to the vine, and the father does his pruning work for the sake of the branch to bear good fruit, Jesus says the branch will bear fruit. But there is a requirement, and you've probably noticed that when we read the text, the requirement is that the branches remain in the vine. The requirement is that you and I remain in Jesus. Jesus clearly says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that could be true, actually, that is true on a couple of levels. Um, we, according to Paul, Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the creator of, of, of all life. Everything was made by him and for him. And it is his presence that sustains all things. All things are held together by the presence of our ruling Lord Jesus, which means, on a practical basis, every breath that I take on a daily basis comes from Jesus. Every time my heart beats, every time my lungs fill, every time this body of mine works, which is an increasing miracle the older that I get, but you get the point, everything that works, is a result of God's sustaining grace of my life through the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can do nothing apart from me. Yeah, on one level it means you can't even breathe. You can't even function apart from his sustaining presence. But I also think that what he's driving at in this text is that you can do nothing of value, nothing of worth, apart from your remaining in the vine. Anything of spiritual significance, anything of life change, and remember, that's what this text has to do with, life change, the life of Jesus flowing through his branches, his followers, in order to produce fruit that is new and fresh, and life-changing, and a blessing that causes others to want to look more closely at the vine. Jesus says, unless you remain in me, that's not going to happen. Okay, so I just have a quick question for you this morning, and, and I want you to just think about it for a minute, and then maybe we'll have time for a, you know two or three or four responses if, if you feel like you want to share something. Jesus has very clearly told them, previous to this, he's leaving. Yet he says to them, remain in me, and I will remain in you. So, how are the disciples going to remain in Jesus? He's leaving. How do they remain in Jesus? Go ahead. Think on that for just, just a minute or two. Any thoughts? Anybody want to respond to, to that question? Donna, I see that hand. Donna Brokaski. 
If our host will turn your microphone on, we'll hear from you. Or maybe you can unmute. There we go. Yeah. Tell us, Donna. I feel like it's necessary for us to remain in the word. That okay. is our nourishment. That okay. is our daily bread. That okay. is what Jesus gives us to sustain us daily. And so it's necessary for us to study the Bible and to be with others while we're studying so that we can share that word with others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. Anyone else? Justin, you see any hands out there? I can't see everybody at once here. Ellen Baldacci has a hand up. Hang on one second. There you go, Ellen. I think you're unmuted. Okay. Well, two things Rick and I were talking about. He said he would send his spirit, and he and the spirit are one. Yeah. He also said to them, though he was leaving, he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay. So he said he was leaving, but he said he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do we put that together, Ellen? Well, we take him at his word. <laughs> 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 All right, gone, but he's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. And let's think back to our post-resurrection appearances. We we recognize that <clears throat> Jesus showed up when he wanted to. He disappeared when he wanted to. He came when he wanted to. He left when he wanted to. And the resurrection changed his inability, if I can say it that way. We hate to even use that word. For the human Jesus to be everywhere at all times. Reinforced, I think, by his promise to his followers that the Spirit would be with them, the Comforter would be with them forever, said Jesus earlier in John. And so when he talks about being with them wherever they go, wherever, wherever they go in this world, Jesus is with them. Now, Here's what I think is so fascinating and so important for us to hear. So important for, for me to hear. Our only responsibility as branches who are, Jesus says, you are. You are the branches. So, so we, those who have put their faith in Jesus, who are his followers, who have confessed him as Lord, we are his branches. And so then what he says to them is, okay, so now you got to get busy. You got to go build churches and you've got to put together food pantries and you've got to create uh, publishing houses and print a lot of different translations of the Bible. In fact, hundreds of translations of the Bible. Be busy for me. Oh, wait, you didn't read that? No, no, I guess I didn't either. No. What he said is, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Don't read that as conditional, because the language is maybe more of the sense of remain in me as I remain in you. So what is Jesus talking about here? My friends, this will come as no surprise, but I think that he is talking about a relationship with God who indwells us by his spirit. Now, Jesus is not talking about, may the force be with you here. 
This is not some vague, uh, difficult, uh, you know, kind of spiritual, mystical. Jesus is talking about a a person, and, and, and that's the difficult thing when we talk about the, the, the persons of the Godhead. But Jesus is, is using language, and whenever he talks about the Spirit, he uses language. It is a, it is a personal pronoun. So let me just say it this way. We have the presence of God living in us. Everywhere we go, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the place, no matter who we are with, God is present in our lives. And now as I read the scriptures, that is a perk, if you will, a privilege, a blessing of being children of God, which are also followers of Jesus. God has given us his spirit, not only, as Paul says, to guarantee our inheritance, which is to come, but Jesus says to actually comfort and teach us and to remind us of everything that Jesus was about. So I would suggest to you this morning, the way that we remain in Jesus is we remember that we have access to a personal relationship with God in the presence of his spirit who indwells us. And we need to make much of that relationship. We're going to talk more about that in Sundays to come. Let me read you a story that I just think brings this truth to life in what it expresses. Stuart Briscoe uh, some of you have read his works, a longtime pastor of a big church up in Brookfield, Wisconsin, for many years. He tells a story years ago traveling to Poland. It was still in the time of, of the Cold War. He says, for several weeks I was there kind of doing an itinerant teaching ministry. Wherever he could connect with believers, he would, he would spend time with them and teach them. He said, one winter day my sponsors drove me in the dead of night to the middle of nowhere. I walked into a dilapidated building crammed with 100 young people. I thought to myself, wow, this is a unique opportunity. Through the interpreter, I wanted to preach from John 15 on remaining in Jesus. 10 minutes into my message, Briscoe says, the lights went out. Pitch black, we're in the middle of nowhere. So my interpreter urged me to keep talking. Well, I was unable to see my notes or read my Bible, but I continued best I could. After I preached in the dark for about 20 minutes, the lights suddenly blinked on, and what I saw startled me. Everyone was on their knees, and they remained there for the rest of my message. The next day, I commented on this to, to one man, and he said, well, you know, after you left, we stayed on our knees most of the night. Your teaching was new to us. We wanted to make sure that we were abiding in Christ, wow. remaining in Jesus. My sisters and brothers, I, I feel like for most of us, this is not new teaching. 
but I also believe in my life, and, and, if, and if this shoe fits for you, slip it on, that in my life, I am so familiar with, with the theological truth and nuances of God living in me that I have, I have completely forgotten on a daily, moment-to-moment basis how God's Spirit living in me is the power and the wisdom and the guidance and the encouragement and the comfort that is available to me to be someone who produces fruit for God's glory. We're going we're gonna to talk more about that fruit. Obviously, our minds go to you know, Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, and, 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 and that is an excellent text. But here's the thing. When it's the fruit of the Spirit, we can't really make it happen. It's the Spirit who makes it happen. You know, I want to compare my fruit with your fruit so that I can feel better about my fruit. And you do the same thing. And we, we, we go around comparing fruit. And we're not supposed to. What we're supposed to do is remain in Jesus and let him produce the fruit by the guidance through the relationship that we have with him in the Spirit who indwells us our lives become more a life of not doing and being busy for Jesus. Our lives become one of being in Jesus and allowing him to use us as he chooses any way, any time. So, brothers and sisters, I want to close this morning with just a, a prayer and some opportunities in the prayer, just, just a few short opportunities for you to just respond silently in your relationship to our God through his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, each person precious and powerful and important in our lives to accomplish all that you have said you would do in and through us. God, we want to just quiet our hearts for a moment and reflect upon that truth. Jesus our true vine, life found only in him. Heavenly Father, you, the one who gardens and prunes and cuts and cleans. Holy Spirit, you, being the presence of God, remaining forever in us. Show us, for just a quiet moment, what are some of the ways that we follow after other vines and and leave a heart's commitment to you. Father, we we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that that remaining in you is a blessed privilege of those who are the children of God. We also hear those words of Jesus 
it refers to the Father's pruning work. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, when we forget that the life that the Father called you to in your, your humanity is in many ways the same life that you call us to in our humanity. A life of sacrifice. A life of being poured out. Perhaps a life of being crushed so that we bring new wine to this world of ours. We take a moment to ask for your strength in specific ways to face those experiences that we feel are pressing and pruning and crushing experiences. We want to name them to you and ask for your strength. And finally, our God, we thank you for your life-transforming love and grace. Mm -hmm. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love that you have made known to us through the sacrifice of your Son, our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness you who did not consider equality with God something to be clung to. No, you left the glories of the heavenly kingdom to come and wrap yourself in our frail flesh and live among us and die for us. And Holy Spirit, you, you who come into our lives as the deposit that guarantees our inheritance, you who come into our lives as the power and presence of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, you who comfort and encourage and remind us of what we are about, we ask that you would give us hearts that are pliable and moldable, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, so that the lives that we live as branches that bear fruit for the Lord Jesus will not be ordinary lives in these ordinary days. Amen. Filled with unordinary events. For your glory and for your praise, we commit ourselves through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters.